I think it is important to find community, to find mothers, people that you can relate to, that understand what you're going through, and that you guys can talk about your struggles. And it's not like it's a judge-free zone. It's like, oh yeah, I'm going through that too, or I'm struggling with that as well. So that's really been helpful for me. Hello and welcome to The Expat Therapist, the show that helps wanderlust women prioritize their mental health and live their best lives abroad. I'm your host, Arielle Roberts, a licensed clinical therapist and a fellow expat. Each week, I'll be sharing practical tips, insights, and real-life conversations with inspiring women who are making the most of their international adventures. Whether you're a seasoned expat or just getting started, this podcast is for you. So grab your journal Get cozy and let's dive in. Hi, everybody. I am so excited. Today, we're going to be welcoming our first expat guest to the show, Misha Lee Brady. Misha is an eight-year-long expat, originally from Virginia, United States, and now is living in Madrid. Misha and I first met about four years ago. I had just planned my first international solo trip, and I was telling one of my collegiate friends about the trip. My friend was worried as this was my first real solo trip, and I was going to Europe where I knew absolutely no one, and so she insisted on me taking Misha's number and talking with her for safety reasons. Lo and behold, she turned out to be an angel, and we have developed what I think is going to be a lifelong friendship. Misha is a mom of two under two, one being my first god baby girl who is the most adorably precious human ever, and along with her older sister who you might just hear in the background during our interview because it's already hard enough being an expat, but let alone being a mom of two under two. So let's get ready to listen in to Misha's expat story followed by some insightful advice for expat mothers out there. Welcome, Misha. Thank you. (laughs) So why don't we hop right in and you can tell us how you became international. Your first move was straight to Madrid, right? When I came to Madrid was when I moved. I hadn't been in Spain before I moved. Okay. So I was traveling the year before. So summer 2014, I was traveling for a month in Europe. And then I was like, oh my gosh, the lifestyle here is everything. Like they're so laid back and relaxed. Like I want to live like this. People enjoy their lives. So I'm going to do it. And one of my friends was actually teaching English in Madrid at the time. And she told me, oh, since you like to travel, you should do it. It's a way to live overseas. And then you can travel on the weekends. You don't have to travel. I mean, you don't have to work a lot. So you should look into it. So um, I looked into the program and I applied. I got accepted into Madrid. And so I moved. And that's how I ended up in Spain. Okay, so starting an international move with teaching English seems to be such a popular move for a lot of people. How long did you teach English for? Taught in the public school system for a year, and then I did an academy for a year, and then I did maybe two or three years as like doing private, just private lessons, like with a fam, with families. That's so great. So it sounds like about four to five years teaching. And I love that you were given the opportunity to provide private lessons. There's such a big ask for that here. 
So I'm curious, what factors influenced your stay in Madrid after you decided you were no longer going to teach English? Well, I got pregnant, so I had to stay. <laughs> well, I didn't have to stay, but I was working up until I got pregnant because when I got pregnant is when it was the beginning of the whole COVID situation and everything shut down. So I kind of had to stay put anyways. Gotcha, but gotcha. I just really liked it. I came for a year. Originally, I said, I'll come for a year, see how I like it. We'll see. I'm not going to go with any expectations. I'm just going to go see what happens and just take it from there. And then I really liked the culture and the lifestyle. And so I just decided to stay and I haven't gone back to the States. And now it's to the point where I can't really see myself moving back to the States, especially now that I have kids. Yeah. It's like you're home away from home. Yeah, for sure. I love that you were able to find that feeling of home in Madrid. So let me ask, what were some of your initial challenges when you first moved internationally? The first thing I would say was the language, because although I knew like some Spanish, I definitely was not like, I wouldn't even say I was conversational where I could hold a full conversation in Spanish. It was really like, hola, <laughs> like, gracias, <laughs> I need help. But um, I think that was the main thing. And then after that, I would definitely say dealing with the bureaucracy. That's like the biggest challenge ever. Because I'm from America, so I'm used to things being like very organized and concrete. Like, this is what you need. This is what you have to do. And that's it. Where here, it's more of like a runaround chasing a chicken with his head cut off. <laughs> that is that is such a great representation of how they get things done here in Spain. So with that being said, how do you feel that you came to overcome the language barrier? I was listening to a podcast. Somebody told me to listen to a podcast and it was called Notes in Spanish. And it's this Spanish woman who's actually from Madrid and her husband is British. And so it's like little, like, I don't want to say 15, 20 minute podcast where she's like using phrases that they would actually use in like Madrid. So like you get the colloquialism. So it's not like, oh, I'm just learning random Spanish. Um so that was helpful, that. And then because I was single, I just went on like a bunch of Tinder dates. And I was like, well, I guess this is a way to speak Spanish because if they don't speak English, and I have to learn. Love so <laughs> I did that. And I would say that's pretty much how I learned Spanish, just from like going out and socializing with people. Because when I came here, I was 24. I hadn't even turned 25 yet. So I was like... All about going out, partying, meeting people, traveling. So it was easy for that way. I love that. Yeah. And with Madrid being such a big hub for expats, there probably wasn't that big of a desire to need to learn the language because most people speak some type of English. So you can get away with living there and not knowing the language. When would you say that you became conversational? I would say maybe after two or three years here. Okay. Yeah, because the first year was kind of like, well, I don't know if I'm going to stay, so I don't know if I really need to learn the language. And then the second year was like, okay, I like it here. I'm probably going to stay here a while. And then the third year, yeah, I feel like the third year. And that's also when I met my partner and he doesn't speak any English. So that solidified me learning Spanish. Yeah. No other choice. They're not going to learn English, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> How is he with his English? 
It's still pretty much non-existent. I mean, he understands a little bit because our daughter speaks English, but he can't hold a conversation in English. (laughs) Totally understand this one on a personal level. (laughs) Um, Kind of reminds me of, you know, how everyone used to joke to me that if I wanted to learn a new language, I needed to fall in love with someone who speaks that different language. And lo and behold, here I am. (laughs) It's like there's no better motivation for learning than love. But I mean, obviously, there are other ways that people learn the language, but you've just got to be sure um, that you know what your why is. You know, you, you have to have that that type of motivation because learning a new language is hard. So, so staying wasn't just about the baby girls and your partnership. Why don't you tell us some more about the pieces of Spain that led you to want to stay here? I think um, the lifestyle, I would say, had a lot to do with it because I feel like in America, it's like all about work. And then it's like, okay, maybe I can go out and have a social life where I feel like in Europe in general, not just in Spain, I feel like in Europe in general, people, I don't want to say they live or how do you say it? Work to live, live to work. I feel like they have a good work-life balance where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm working, but like once I'm off the clock, I'm off the clock. Like that's it. And it's not all about work. Yeah. Living to work here is not a thing. They genuinely enjoy life here. And um, I think just the quality of life is a bit better with as far as like insurance, like the food I feel like is better. It's not there's not so much trash in the food where you're like, I'm not really sure if I'm eating what I'm supposed to, what I think I'm eating. Um, that, and I like that people really, how would I word it? I would say they really enjoy the outdoors where like everything is always happening outside. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, and there's so many things to do outside. So it definitely helps. Definitely helps. So, Misha, can you um can you share any of your mental health struggles that you had once you made your international move? I want to say the mental health part probably really didn't play into it until I got pregnant. Because when I first came, it was just like, oh, I'm young, I'm having fun, whatever. Like, I don't have any responsibilities. Um, and then once I became a mother, it was kind of like, oh, like, you know, they say it takes a village to raise a child and I have no village. Number one. Number two, there was a global pandemic. So I had to think about that as well. So it was like, oh my gosh, am I ever going to see my family again? Is my family going to die before I have my baby? Like, am I going to die? My child going to grow up without a mom? Like, it was just a lot of, and I probably took like these thoughts to the extreme. But I mean, when you see the news and there's people dying left and right and you're seeing dead bodies getting carried out of your apartment building, it's kind of like, okay, maybe I'm not being dramatic. So I think that's really when I probably started to struggle with like mental health. Yeah, I would say about when I got pregnant, when I found I was pregnant. Okay. Yeah. And you bring up a really good point, right? COVID. And for those of us who were living out of the country, away from your your support system, your loved ones, family, your friends, right? And that kind of worry because... I mean, obviously, we've all been through this. We didn't know what was going on with COVID. We didn't know how serious it was. You know, I remember thinking um, I had booked my ticket to Spain to, like, move the summer of 2020. Mm -hmm. So when it was canceled, I remember thinking, oh, no big deal. By September, I'll be able able to come back and, you know, figure everything else out. It'll be fine. And it was like, no, you know, like, we had no idea what COVID you know, look like at the beginning. So yeah, that's a, a very real fear. 
So thank you for sharing that because that, that brings up a really good point. Um, and so you just mentioned um, something that I talk a lot about in the podcast is a support system, right? And how yeah. important that is to you know, mental health struggles to, to have a support system, people who you feel like have your best interest in mind. Um, and so you identified not really having that there. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, I mean, um, well, I don't have any family here, so it's really just me here. Um, I mean, I guess I have my partner as well, but it's just not the same for me because I kind of think, okay, so what if? Like, what if things don't work out and then I am a single mother in another country by myself with no family? How am I going to manage? How am I going to do this? Luckily, that's not the situation. And hopefully it doesn't get to that point. But... um it really is a struggle. I fortunately enough, I was in a WhatsApp group, WhatsApp, everybody loves WhatsApp in Europe, uh, with a bunch of other expats as well that were same situation, pregnant overseas, they don't have family here. So it was nice to be able to talk to people that could relate with what I was going through. Mm-hmm. And to this day, we're still friends and everyone, you know, our kids not really grew up together, but kind of have grown up together. So that's nice having people that understand what you're going through. So you're not like, okay, I'm not alone. There's other people that know how I feel and are feeling the same things and having the same thoughts. Yeah. You know, I think that is such an important part to hone in on. Our support system might look different every single day, but if you can find a person or a group of people who you can connect with on a personal level, that might just be enough. You know, oftentimes, like I said, I, I talk about a support system, not just being our OG team from home. You know, it can be new people who we relate to here. And I talked about this in episode four, how important it can be to find others who who identify as you. You know, and that extends so much further than just race or gender or sexual preference. It can also be having someone who's gone through the same experience as you, like exactly what you're describing here. You know, and I think you're so right. Everyone in Europe loves WhatsApp. So it's great to hear that that is something that you had, that WhatsApp group. Um, so I'm, I'm super, super happy that you you had that. And so for all of you guys listening in, if you don't have WhatsApp, you definitely need to download it before you get here. And so you and I, obviously, we talk on a pretty regular basis. Majority of the time, it's about our husbands or, <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'm totally counting him him as your as your hubby (laughs) like a shady gray area where it's like you're considered married but you're not married it works out do you want to tell the audience a little bit about that so it's called pareja de hecho Mm -hmm. so it's how would you i guess it would be considered like a common law marriage or like a civil union where like you're recognized as i guess a partnership you guys are together you guys live together and you have like the benefits of a marriage here, mm-hmm. at least, without actually being married. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. through Pareja de Hecho is how I got my residency to stay in Spain. Okay. So, once again, very similar situations here. But marriage isn't the only way for our wanderlust woman out there hoping to make a move abroad. I presume there'll probably be an episode on ways to secure visas and etc. coming soon to the podcast. So Misha, we haven't quite mentioned this yet, but can you give the audience a little bit more information about the absence of support from your in-laws? Because that's definitely something that we're dealing with, right? Not having too much of their support. Yes, very (laughs) much so. (laughs) Not going to sugarcoat that one. Yes, it's very overwhelming because 
I don't ever really have time to myself. And then I'm also the type of person where like, I don't trust anybody with my kids, which I feel is like very typical of a mother in general. But I feel like maybe my case is a little bit like extra where I'm just like, no, I don't, I don't trust anybody. Like if you're not my like mom, my dad, like my aunt, my sister, like my close friend, I don't trust you. Um, as far as in-laws, I don't really have the best relationship with them and it's not anything that I like, I don't think it's anything that will change. And I don't know if it's like a cultural thing, but it's more of like an expectation that I'm supposed to reach out to be like, Hey, do you want to see my kids? Where I'm like, I'm not doing that. It's not my responsibility to reach out to you. If you want to see your grandchildren, if you want to see your nieces, then you have my number. You know, I'm always with them. I do not keep my kids from anyone. You have my phone number. You can call me. You can message me, whatever. And we can figure out something and we can make it work. But I'm not going to go out of my way to reach out to people because I already have a million and one things that I have to do as a mother of 202. So it's just like that's one more thing to my plate that I'm not I'm not going to take on. I'll initiate contact a few times to make plans. And after that, ball is in your court. What you do with it, that's up to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine how how hard that that is. Like we've already talked about, you don't have your, your family, your support. Yeah. But then to also not have the, the support of your in-laws is extremely hard. Can you can you identify any unexpected positive outcomes or like personal growth as a result of these challenges of parenting without the presence of, of the help of your in-laws? I guess um hmm, what is the positive? I guess it's just one of those things where it's just like I mean, I know that I will be okay and I know that I will do whatever I have to do to make sure that first and foremost that my girls are okay and that they're taken care of and that they that they're fine, that they're okay. I mean, you just really dig into your inner strength and yes, I'm always exhausted. I get very little sleep, but I just keep telling myself that this will pass. Like it's not always going to be like this because they're only going to be young once. And in a few years, it'll be completely different. They'll be in school. So I won't be as demanding to me. So I kind of just deal with it. And I tell myself, you know, it'll be okay. You know, whenever you watch award shows, everyone's like, I just want to thank my mom. So I'm like, it'll be worth it because at the end of the day, they're going to be like, my mom was the one that was always there. I love my mom so much if it wasn't for my mom. So that keeps me going. Oh, I love that. Yeah, we live for them and just hope and pray that one day they'll realize everything that we've done uh, was with their best interest in mind. Okay, Misha, one last question. What mental health advice would you give any expat mamas out there or potential expat mamas considering making a move abroad? For moving abroad, considering moving abroad, I'm a big advocate for it. I mean, I remember when you reached out to me and you were thinking about doing it and I was like, you have to do it. If you can, you have to. Even if it's not a permanent situation, you do it for a year or two. I think that moving abroad, I think it's such a great experience for not only an adult, but for kids as well to let them see how other people live or to experience another culture and just see the world from a different perspective to see how life is. Um, As far as for mental health and for mothers, I think it is important to try to find community. So like for me, it's been through Facebook groups where I've been able to meet other stay-at-home mothers. And pretty much all my friends are expats. Spanish people are great, but it's not. There's like, I don't know really how to put it into words. 
but Spanish people are nice on a surface level, but for like a deep mm, connection or like friendship where you're like, I can really count on you. Like if something happens and I have an emergency, I can call you and I know that, okay, you'll take my girls or you'll help me. And I feel like I haven't found that in any Spanish person besides my partner, but like that doesn't count. Cause like as my partner, I mean like a friend outside of my relationship, I would say no. My friends like that, I would say literally all of them are expats. All of them are not from Spain. All of them come from a different country and they're here. So I think it is important to find community, to find mothers, people that you can relate to, that understand what you're going through and that you guys can talk about your struggles. And it's not like it's a judge free zone. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm going through that, too. Or I'm struggling with that as well. So that's really been helpful for me. So it sounds like prioritizing having a support system of like-minded people is a necessity? I think it's nice to be able to like vent to someone and they're like, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm going through the same exact thing. Like I totally know what you mean. So that's helpful. So it's like, okay, I don't like to complain a lot. And so I try not to be so negative. I try, maybe not always successful, but I do try to be positive and think positively so every once in a while or weekly I need to get a good venting session out (laughs) so it happens and it's always nice when someone's like oh yeah I get it I'm going through the same thing I'm going through something similar that I went through that already too yeah there is just something different about being able to connect with someone on on a personal level so once again I'm super glad that you had that or have that hopefully I'm included in that (laughs) Um, But anyways, Misha, thank you so much for joining in with us today. I know being a mom, especially a a mom of two under two, like I can't even imagine, um, but also being, you know, a wife or a partner, an expat, it makes life really hard to just sit down and do something like this for 20 minutes or so. So I am super appreciative that you made space for us today. And now I would like for us to hop on over to our expat exploration question for the week. We are shouting out to our expat mommies out there. And so this week I would like you to ponder on how you have found or created a sense of community and support as an expat mother. So share one strategy or approach that has helped you build connections and establish a support network in your new home in the comment section of the podcast because I'm really curious to hear what you guys have to say. Thank you so much for listening in to the Expat Therapist Podcast. You can find more tips and material on my website, globaltransitions.co or on my Instagram at The Expat Therapist. Be sure to subscribe to me on Apple and Spotify podcasts and to leave a review. I hope you are leaving feeling even just a little bit more empowered. And remember, there's never a good time. So just go all out and do it now.